0: Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website, RenewalChicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. Well, if you flip your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42, that's where we're going to be this morning. As you flip in there, we've been in this Sermon on the Mount where we've been asking the question, what does it look like or what is it like to live as a Christian in the everyday world? More specifically, what does it mean to be a true disciple of Jesus? So today, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. I hope you all been enjoying this series. Once you have it, go ahead and stand at your feet with me as we read the word of God together. Starting in verse 38, the text reads, says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Very word of God. Amen. Today, I want to preach on the topic. Don't retaliate. Love. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say, don't retaliate. Love. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, God. We thank you for just being able to come together. God, I ask one simple prayer, as I do each week, that you would hide me behind the cross as I preach this word. Lord, I ask that you would increase and that I would decrease. Father, have your way in this place. Let people hear from you and not from me. And it's mighty, magnificent name of Jesus that we all said together. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Anybody ever heard of the Greensboro Four? Greensboro Four. David Richmond, Franklin McCain, Ezell Blair Jr. and Joe McNeil. The Greensboro Four. Four African-American students from North Carolina A&T State University. They staged the first sit-in in in Greensboro because they were tired of being told that they could not sit and eat at the white-only counters. And get this, these were places that they were coming in to pay for. See, nowadays we scoff at any inequality on many different levels. We don't like inequality. But in the early 1900s, it was on a whole different level, all the way up to the 1970s and still exists some places today, sadly, because of racism and the Jim Crow laws that made segregation legal in public places. Black and white people could not eat at the same counter together. They couldn't sit together on the same bus. They couldn't drink from the same water fountain, use the same restaurants. They couldn't attend the same schools and much more. And if a black person did not obey by or abide by this law, they could be beaten, put in prison, and sometimes killed with no legal ramifications for the culprits that committed the act. So on February 1, 1960, these four men went in and they sat at a white-only counter in a restaurant. They were immediately told that they would not be served. But they continued to sit, and soon after the police were called. But even after the police arrived, they sat there all day long, not saying a word, just sitting at the counter. Franklin McCain he describes remembering the sheriff come and pace back and forth with his nightstick in his hand. He said he said he just kept pacing back and forth, pounding his nightstick over and over again. And as he paced back and forth, Franklin said, at that moment, I knew that he did not know what to do with us. See, this was the first sit-in, but soon after, many sit-ins occurred. All throughout the South, and many weren't as peaceful as this first one. People would be beaten, ridiculed, dragged out, put in prison, all because they wanted equality in public spaces, particularly in a restaurant that they were willing to pay for their own food. And hear me, this nonviolent protest was one of many that led to the Civil Rights Act enacted by LBJ, where racial discrimination would become illegal. But let me ask you, before we get too far off of this, let me ask you, Sometimes, because sometimes I don't think we understand that this wasn't too long ago. I mean, could you peacefully sit at a table knowing you are created in the image of God just like anyone else, but just because the color of your skin looks a little different, maybe it's a little darker, you could be beaten, you could be ridiculed, you could be spit on, kicked, put in prison. Could you really, be honest, could you sit at a table and endure this harsh treatment and not retaliate? And, and don't be so quick to answer that question, because nowadays, y'all, we can't even handle somebody saying harsh, something harsh to us on social media. Jesus in this passage is simply making the case that when treated ill or unfairly, instead of retaliating, one should meet the other person with love and kindness. Now, family, I know this is totally contrary to human nature, because if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. If you kick me. I'm going to kick you back. If you spit on me, boy, you better run because it's about to go down. Today, we don't stand for getting taken advantage of or being mistreated. We don't like that. We don't like when others are mistreated. We don't like when we're mistreated. As a matter of fact, many times we unconsciously or sometimes consciously will try to hurt someone else before they hurt us. See, letting some, letting someone hurt us is a no, no. We don't do that. So let me ask you as we get into this passage. How kind are you? Are you kind enough to meet evil with love? How kind are you? In our passage today, Jesus is continuing with the same string of thought or reasoning where he's been talking about or taking what the people have been taught throughout the ages where, where they've been taught this is truth or absolute. and He's taken. He's not changing it. He's just further clarifying it or bringing the true meaning or understanding to what God had meant for in the beginning when he told the people. So we've talked about this all throughout the Sermon on Mount where he's preached on this. He's talked about anger. We preached on that. We talked about lust and divorce. Last week we talked about oaths. This week we're talking about retaliation. Now, as I explained in the beginning, this topic can be sort of challenging because naturally we have a reaction to things that happen to us. It's kind of like when you go to the doctor, you know, they take that little tool out. If you got a baby, they take that little tool out with the rubber end on it and they hit the leg and your your leg just pops up. You have a reflex or reaction to them hitting your knee in that certain place. It's the same thing. When someone hurts us, we naturally have a reaction. That reflex that we have is retaliation, right? That's what we want to do. We want to retaliate. See, this whole eye for an eye, two for a two, tit for tat, or if you do this, this is what's going to happen to you, that's called the law of retaliation. Or in Latin, it's the lex talionis. You've heard of that before? This was God's means of maintaining justice and purging evil from his people, his people. And, and, and we see this in Deuteronomy 19. He says this in verses 20 through 21. Look at it with me. And the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. See, this was intended to prevent inappropriate punishment where the punishment would fit the crime and was imposed by civil authorities rather than the individuals themselves. It was their form of a justice system. But again, It was not supposed to be imposed by individuals, just the authorities. This is huge or important to understand because Jesus is not saying to get rid of consequences for wrongful actions. God is a just God and there are consequences for actions. But what he is doing is prohibiting the universal human tendency to seek personal revenge. Follow me with this. Paul further exhorts us, as if we didn't get it when Jesus says that he keeps going. He tells us about this. He challenges Christians in the book of Romans and he says the same thing. Look at it with me. He says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, look at these words, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, the main point, again, is that the Christian is to meet evil with good. And again, this is not to say there will not be consequences. There will be consequences, whether on this earth by God or 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 in heaven when you meet him face to face, which is why Paul says you will heap burning coals on his head, which is another way saying not that you're going to heap burning coals, but they will be judged one day for the things that they did. There will be judgment. Now, hear me, don't get this twisted, because this does not mean that you shouldn't protect yourself. Friends, hear me. Defending yourself and retaliation are two very different things. Self-defense and revenge are not the same thing. But again, y'all, let's be honest. There's something that snaps within us when we get hurt. We don't like it. Can we be honest? You see, Jesus, knowing this, he illustrates what he means by loving another and not retaliating quite vividly. So let's take a look at our passage. Jesus begins by saying, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Then turn to him the other also. Now, y'all, let's be honest. How many of y'all gonna let somebody slap you and then turn to the other cheek and say, you you know, you you might as well slap me on the other one. You slap me on this one. And I I just kind of like being red on both sides of my cheeks. No need for blush. Go ahead and slap me. Come on, man. think about nobody's doing that some of y'all would have went crazy be like oh man this man just slapped me in my face I'm about to whoop him you're pacing back and forth you don't know what to do with yourself because they slapped you now let me break this down a bit because this is no regular slap Jesus specifically says slaps you on the right cheek for a reason He's giving the picture of someone backhanding another person. I mean, straight cock back your hand and backhand the person across their right cheek. Because here's the thing, they slap with their right hand. And unless you're some type of contortionist, you're not going to be able to slap somebody with an open hand on the right side of their cheek with your right hand. The only way to do that is to cock your hand back and straight backhand them across the right side of their face. (laughs) Now, y'all hear me. Slapping someone with an open hand is one thing, but for someone to backhand another person, that's on another level. I mean, it's insulting now, and it was back in Jesus's day. In fact, according to Jewish rabbinic law, to hit a man with the back of your hand was twice as insulting as to hit a man with the open or flat side of the hand. So hear me Jesus is saying this look at this he says, even if someone should direct at you the most deadly and calculated insult you must on no account retaliate and you must on no account resent it what? wait a second Jesus are you serious? I'm supposed to let somebody backhand me across the face and then turn my other cheek and say go ahead slap the other one No I know some of y'all like me so let me clarify this a bit this does not mean Hear me. Don't resist or flee because failure to resist a violent attack leads many times to an even more serious abuse. But let's be honest. Let's not skip this too quickly. How many of y'all going to let somebody backhand you across the face? And then turn the other cheek and be like, go ahead. And not retaliate. Jesus keeps going as if slapping wasn't enough for us to get where he's going. And he says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Both of these verses pertain to legal matters. But in both, Jesus is saying, just simply do more than what's required of the law. See, because legally, if you, sued, if you were sued back then, you were required to give up your inner garment or your tunic, as they called it. But Jesus says, don't just do what the law requires, but give up instead your outer garment or your cloak, too. Now, here's why this is important. A Jew back then was known to have more than one tunic, which means they had more than one undergarment, but they only really had one cloak. It was expensive. It was dear to them. It was a a, a dear garment. So Jesus saying, don't just give up what the law requires when sued, but go ahead, give more. And that more being your most dear or precious item of clothing, your cloak. I mean, think about this. Let me help you with this. If someone's suing you, they're already trying to take something from you already. It doesn't even begin to make sense in the right frame of mind to think about giving them more than what they're already trying to take from you. Right. I'm supposed to be like, all right, well, cool. You sued me. You took my house. You know, it was a nice house, but you could have my car, too. Here's my keys. It's a great car. I saved all my life. No, no, who thinks like that? Y'all keep following me. I promise I'm coming to your neighborhood. I may be in your own, your backyard already where, where Jesus is trying to take us with what it means to love another person. Because then he says, walk two miles instead of one. Where this would have been pertaining to someone being forced by a soldier to carry their military equipment while tri- traveling. He, he says, don't walk one with their stuff. Go ahead and walk two instead. Anybody in here ever done conditioning before for a sport? Go ahead, raise your hand. It's the worst thing When your coach says, "All right, everybody, go ahead, line, line up, get on the line, we're gonna run," come on, coach, for real, I ain't trying to run. We've been practicing. I'm, I'm not trying to run. I mean, we hate training. We don't like running, especially even when it's for when it's for sport. But picture this: your coach instead tells you, "Get on the line." This time I want you to run, but I got my heaviest garments, a bag of my heaviest garments over there. I want you to put all my clothes on and I want you to put my backpack on. Y'all, I got some weights in my backpack because I like it. It helps my back get a little stronger. And then I got my phone in my backpack too with some with, with, with some water and, and all my my things, my computer. And yo, you run one mile with that. And when you get back, it better not be broken. Matter of fact, make it two miles. Y'all, I would have looked at my coach be like, you out your mind? You could carry your own stuff. Deuces, I'm out of here. Now stay with me now because Jesus isn't done yet. He says, give to the one who begs from you and don't refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now hear me, Jesus is not telling us to be foolish with our money and just give it out without any regard. But he's saying, when you see someone in need, give. St. Augustine said it this way. Look at it. He says, give to everyone that asks. Not every not give everything to him that asks. Let me say that again. I don't want you to miss this. He says, give to everyone that ask, not give everything to him that ask. It's a big difference. Don't give foolishly to where it might hurt someone more than it'll help them. But the Christian should be always willing to give. But let me ask you, maybe even on your way to church this morning your work this last week how many times did you ride down the street and you know the guy that's sitting on the side of the road he maybe even a knocked on your window and said can I have some money for some food and you you just look around you ain't, you ain't talking to me knocking on your window or, or, or better yet how many times did somebody ask you to borrow some if they could borrow something this week and you, you knew you had it but you just said no just being selfish I mean we've all been there right let's be honest Here's the point in all that Jesus is getting at. Don't miss this. Jesus is walking through what it looks like to not be self-centered and retaliate, but instead to be kind and love someone, even when they're your enemy or someone you can gain nothing in return from. In other words, he's spelling out how Christians are to love other people. See, hear me. Don't miss this. Christian love at its core has nothing to do with the one doing the loving, but all to do with the person who's receiving it. Christian kindness should transcend straightforward tit-for-tat retaliation or retribution. It's not you did this, so you're going to get this from me. Friends, retaliation is all about oneself. It's selfish. We retaliate because we're humiliated, we're hurt, we're embarrassed, and we're angry. And hear me, all of these may be valid feelings. Your feelings are always valid. They just might be misguided from you being hurt. But, but, but family, it's all about what we do with our feelings. You can feel all of these things, but that doesn't mean you have to retaliate. You think those men and women doing those sit-ins, getting beat down, ridiculed, spit on, you think they didn't want to retaliate? They, they, they definitely want to retaliate. But hear me, y'all. See, in order to not retaliate and love someone, regardless of what they have done to you, one has to put themselves to the side and see that everyone needs hope. Everyone needs love. Everyone needs salvation, regardless of what they've done. Family, this is exactly what Jesus did. As a matter of fact, he did it for us. Follow me with this. Jesus had to intentionally remove himself to serve others. And the reason I say this is because, hear me, it's a lot easier to love someone that you want to love or you feel like loving. But it's hard to love someone who's against you or your enemy, someone who's wronged you. See, Jesus doesn't just love those who follow him, but we see him love and serve his enemies also. Jesus in John 13, look at this, not only washes his disciples' feet, but y'all, he washes Judas' feet, whom he knows will betray him. Now, how can you love someone who you already know does not like you, who's against you, who's your enemy? Jesus says in Matthew 5, he says this, as we'll talk about it more next week. Look at this, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Family, I think this is one of the most powerful verses in scripture, but one of the hardest to live because it's totally contrary to human nature. As I said before, human nature says, if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. If you kick me, I won't kick you back. But why is it that we see Jesus in John 13 washing the feet of the very person who's about to perform the most heinous act of betrayal in all of human history by kissing his savior on his cheek? The one who just washed his feet, the one who loves him, this man being Judas. The answer is that Jesus loves unconditionally and recognizes the fact that we're all fallen people. Hear me, friends. Jesus died on the cross for all those who will believe, meaning that everyone that will believe in him hadn't done so yet. This means that Jesus didn't just serve and love his enemies, but he also died for his enemies. Because until we believe in him as our savior, we're still innately sinful, an enemy of God, an enemy of the cross and in need of a savior. Romans 5, 6, 8 says this. Look at these words. He says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, not the godly, the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't miss that. I don't know about you, family, but I'm not sure I could die for my enemy. Someone who publicly disgraced me, someone who has hurt me. No, I want to retaliate. I want revenge. But Romans says that God loved you so much that even in your act of rebellion against him, he set forth a plan in sending Jesus to die for us while we were still enemies of his in our sinful nature. Do you understand what God has done? How he has loved us. And I'm not talking about Jesus right now. I'm talking about God, the father, the love of the father. Many times we forget how much God has loved us. First John four, nine through 10 says this. "In this the love of God. Was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. God loved us so much that he sent his son to serve and to die for us. The wrath of God has been satisfied by his son dying. The magnitude of this love of God is overwhelming. And Romans 8 tells us that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God for those that believe. See, God, knowing we were his enemies in sin, he didn't retaliate when he had all the right to do so. But instead, he loved us so much that he sent his son to serve and die for us. Family, we don't see Jesus just loving us. We see God loving us, sending his son to live the life that we were supposed to live. And he could have stopped there, but he doesn't stop there. See, if I'm you and me, look, I'm rejoicing within my soul. And somebody in here should be jumping for joy, too. If you believe in Jesus because you have a savior that didn't just come down here and live the life that you were supposed to live, but he lived the life and then he died the death that you were supposed to die. Hear me, he was kicked, he was beaten, he was nailed to a cross and killed for us, and he didn't retaliate, but he loved us and took our sins upon himself so that we could have life if we believe. Family, do you see what I'm getting at? Jesus is saying to be Christian is to love unconditionally, not retaliate. Put yourself to the side for the good of someone else. Well, you say, okay, Pastor D, I see where you're going with this. But if I'm wrong, if somebody's hurting me, I don't know if I'm not going to be able to retaliate. I got to retaliate. How do I contain myself and not retaliate? Better yet, the question is, why, why would I not retaliate, Pastor D? My answer to you is, hear me, you have to remember, as I said earlier, God is the one who holds vengeance and justice in his hands. And believe me, hear me with this. His justice is far greater than any retaliation we can give out. So, stop being mean to that friend that was mean to you. Try loving them instead. Stop fighting with your spouse because they wronged you. Love them instead. I mean, do something nice in return for their evil. See what happens. Some of us are sitting there right now. You've been hurt and you're just running around hurting other people. Hurt breeds hurt. Hurt people hurt people. Turn to Jesus right now and ask him. Say, Jesus, I need you to fill my heart with your love so that I'm able to love others even when I'm hurt. Just ask Jesus to fill your heart. See, the Christian or the Christ follower always has to remember that they have a big and a mighty God on their side who will fight for them and justice will be given in time. So hold on and keep loving others regardless of what they've done to you or are doing to you. Let me end with this because I I don't want you to to walk away and miss this. I I remember when I was in middle school, one day sitting at the lunch table with a group of my friends. And and you got to understand, middle school boys, family, y'all, we we talk a whole lot of mess sitting at the table with one another. So we're talking about this. We're sitting at the table and we're we're talking mess to one another. We're talking about who can beat each other in a basketball game. And somehow it turns from I can beat you in one-on-one to who can beat each other up in a physical fight. Y'all have been there before, you sitting at the table, and, and someone will say, I bet you can't whoop so-and-so, and then, then, then the other person's like, please, man, in my sleep, i whoop him, hand tied behind my back, and then everybody's like, ooh, he said he can whoop you, he said he can whoop you, it's about to go down. Don't act like you ain't never been there before. Y'all like, what's wrong with you, Pastor D? What kind of school did you go to? Y'all, y'all got to understand, little boys. We got to prove ourselves we're bigger, that we're bigger, we're better than everybody else. And don't act like girls don't do it too. They do it too. Y'all, middle school is a treacherous place. It's crazy. I, I Honestly, I, I sit back and think to myself, who came up with the idea of putting sixth through eighth grade boys and girls together, 14 to 12 years old together with all this puberty and the hormones raging through their bodies? Y'all, that ain't no good idea. We are asking for trouble. Well, one day I was sitting at the table, and my friend is like, Derek, I bet you can't whoop Ray. And me being me, y'all, I, my overconfident self, sometimes I'm like, please, Ray <laughs> in my sleep. And everybody's like, oh, he just said he can whoop Ray. Now, y'all hear me. Ray was my boy. It's a close friend since elementary, and he's pretty quiet. So I thought he would just laugh it off, knowing that I'm just joking and stuff. But I looked at Ray. Straight face, no joke. He looked at me in my eye and he said, I bet we're going to see about that. Now, family. This was a common thing at the lunch table and nothing usually materialized. But this day was different. There was this guy at the table that didn't like me too much. I'm not sure why he didn't like me, but he's the type of guy you don't want to mess with. He's the type of guy that was putting people in the hospital one blow to the face. I mean, in and out of prison, real life, y'all kind of crazy. You don't mess with this guy. Those are the people you don't want to fight. So come to find out, he tells Ray, look, if you don't fight Derek after he called you out at the lunch table, I'm going to whoop you, Ray. I had no idea this happened. So after school, I'm at home. My mom's at work. And and, and I, I'm at home with my three little sisters. I get a knock at the door, boom, boom, boom. And it's Ray. And I was like, what's up, man? I walked out the house, like everything was cool. And when I got out the house, like nothing happened. I'm like, that's my boy Ray. I look out and I'm like, one, two, three, four. It, it's two of my other friends, the dude that doesn't like me and Ray, it's four y'all and one of me and then I look back at Ray I'm like what's up man I thought we was good we, we boys right and he's looking he ain't smiling Ray I'm like where's my friend man like what's going on so he proceeds to say so you said you can whoop me so do it and I'm looking around like you you must be crazy it's four of you and one of me I ain't worried about you Ray but I ain't about to get jumped today Ray proceeds get this y'all he slaps me across the face And I just started to laugh. You notice that laugh because you so mad. (laughs) I can't believe this dude just slapped me in my face. Is he out his mind? But I didn't retaliate. I didn't touch his bike. And he's like, boy, you better not touch my bike again. I said, what? And he said, don't touch it. See what happens. So I touched it again. And he just hauls off and punches me as hard as he can in my stomach. Now, while I'm hunched over, y'all, I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he just hit me in my stomach. This dude just punched me. I'm about to whoop in the next week. I can't believe it. I'm trying to gasp for air the whole time Then he's hit me in my stomach. I'm thinking in my head like, but if I hit him, hit him back, if I beat him in the next week, then I'm going to get the worst beating of my life because it's four of them and it's one of me. I'm calling a dilemma. I don't know what to do. I'm having a problem here. Should I retaliate or should I not? Do I hit him? Do I not? And all the while, while I'm going back and forth, soon I, I, I hear this. I hear my door in the background, the front door to my house. It opens up. You hear the, it starts opening up. You know how the screen door opens up. And, and then I hear this voice. Y'all better leave my brother alone. Y'all better leave my brother alone. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Y'all, I look up. And it's my little sister Amber waving my baseball bat in the air talking about, y'all better leave my brother alone. Y'all better leave my brother alone. And in my head, y'all, I don't know whether to be thankful or embarrassed. I mean, I was saved, but nobody wants to be saved by their little sister. I mean, but it worked, y'all. They laughed and, and just rolled off. Family, here's what I'm getting at. No matter how messed up the situation or how bad someone has wronged you, whether you got yourself in that situation or not, you don't have to retaliate because of someone else's actions towards you. Hear me, just like how my sister came out with that bat, y'all hear me, to the Christian in here, you serve a God whose name is higher than every name, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of all kings, and one day, y'all, he's coming back, and he will judge everyone according to their deed, and every knee will bow. So, believer, keep on loving, pointing people to Jesus through his love. It's a love that's not understandable to the human mind because it's contrary to human nature. Because if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. I want to hurt you. But when I love, instead what happens is it makes people ask questions and in turn seek out Jesus. And I know you may be sitting there saying, well, Pastor, I I don't know if I have the strength to do this. I don't know if I, I I can love and not retaliate. Hear me, family. The truth is you don't have the strength. This is why Jesus gave every believer the Holy Spirit to will and do things we can't do on our own. Hear me, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Family, to love the way Jesus is saying in this passage is impossible to do on our own unless we get rid of all the moral codes and biblical standards. And that creates another problem that sadly we're living in or we're dealing with today. Let me, let me soapbox for a minute. This is another sermon for another day, but let me ask you, family. When we take all the moral codes or all the, 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 the biblical standards off, which we're trying to live in today, I'm going to love you the way you want to be loved. I'm, I'm going to do you, you do me. When we do that, let me ask you, has the world got any better? No. Family, it's, try, it, it's time to try this things God, things God way. We, we, got, we have to depend on the Lord, not ourselves or how we feel. When we retaliate, when we want to retaliate, just just stop and pray and say, God, please give me the strength to love the way you want me to love and not retaliate. Some of us need to do that right now. Something's happening in your life. Someone has wronged you. You're hurting. You've been hurting other people. You're in that same dilemma that I was in. Do I retaliate or do I not? Do I, do I hurt them back or do I not? Ask God right now to fill your heart with his love and his kindness. Family, hear me. Don't retaliate. Love. Don't retaliate. Love. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. You're an awesome God. God, I know this is hard for us, and I know the natural inclination is when we're hurt, we want to retaliate. We want revenge. But God, you had every right to do that with us. Our sin stain was was huge. But you chose to come down and die for us. You sent your son to die the death that we deserved, washing our sin slate clean. And Father, we know we don't have the strength to love and do what you did for us. But God, with you on our side, Holy Spirit, within our lives, we can do all these things. So, God, I just pray that you would intercede in those places where we've been hurt, in those places where we need you, Lord Jesus. And let us turn to you and not to us, because we need you. Father, I pray if there's someone in here that is not turn to you and not experience the love that you have given towards us Jesus when you died on the cross the love of God by sending this your son down here to die the death we deserve god i pray right now they would call out and say jesus i need you i'm tired of living this life the way i've been living it the way i want to it's not working that they, they would experience the joy and the love that comes from you god father you are a good god And we thank you for how good you've been to us and all the good you'll do in the future. God, we just ask, though, that you'll help us walk and step in the way that you want us to walk and not the way that we want to walk. We thank you. We love you. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen. Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul. And I hope to see you at one of our services at 10 a.m. Take care. God bless you.